The reading comes from, chap- from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Providence, you can grab a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I serve here at Providence as one of the pastors. And, and so if you have a Bible, would you go to Mark chapter 5? Mark chapter 5 was just read for us. Um, we're going to be there for the rest of the morning. Uh, but let me, let me pray to begin, and then we'll get into it. Father God, um, we are grateful that you speak, as Gabe said. Now, and now we pray that uh, as we look at your word, that uh, your spirit would speak to us through your word, that you would uh, do something unique in us this morning, that you would change us, uh, and that you would move us closer to you. Would you give us uh, soft hearts and sharp minds as we approach your word? Uh, and would your spirit really guide us uh, in this next time? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
so one of the things that uh, my, my wife and I, that we tried to do or that we enjoyed doing uh, is taking road trips. So I know that uh, maybe for some of you, you're kind of on one of two sides. You either love road trips or you despise them, right? But for, for Bailey and I, we, we grew up taking road trips. It's just kind of a, a fun thing that we do. And so I, I love it. It's time where you kind of disconnect a little bit, where you slow down, you get time to talk, all that stuff. It's, it's amazing. And so this last year, uh, it's been a little bit crazy for us. You know, we've been working towards planting Providence. We're having our first baby. We just bought a house last year. There's, there's so much stuff that's been going on. Uh, and so this summer we said, okay, we need to just kind of pull back a little bit uh, and we need to just take a road trip. We need to just go somewhere. And so this summer we took uh, a little over a week to go down to some like national parks in kind of the Southwest. So we went to Colorado and Arizona and, and Utah and so we're driving down there, and, and it's beautiful, right? If any of you guys have been down there, it's amazing. But it's a lot of miles. Like from here to drive around to all these national parks and stuff, it, it, I love these road trips, but especially like in Arizona, there's some of those places where it's just like one long road, and it is hot, and it's dry, and it's brown, and it's just kind of boring. And, and, but it, and it's miles, like you're just driving. And so probably a little over halfway through the trip, we kind of got to the point where, you know, the, the kind of excitement from day one is kind of wearing off and the three, four hour drives in between things is starting to get a little bit longer than it felt like before. And, uh, you know, we were, we were camping the first couple days. My wife was pregnant. We weren't sleeping very well. It was by day three, four, five, we were starting to get a little on edge and uh, just tired. And so I remember at one point, I think it was in Arizona, we're driving and we're driving in this long, just barren land. I mean, it's just like, we're just driving here. I'm kind of cranky. I'm getting tired. And, uh, but there's like nobody else around. And so I get kind of into the lane. I pick a speed, I hit cruise control and I kind of just like sit back, right? You kind of, you hit cruise control and you just disengage a little bit. And it didn't take long until, you know, my eyes started getting a little heavy. I started doing like the nodding thing, you know, and, and I'm kind of like drifting off. And I was just sitting in cruise control. I was just like completely beginning to disengage. And so we had a few of those moments, but then we also had the moments where we're going through the mountains and uh, it seemed like every time we're in the mountains and you know, there's like these tiny roads and you're turning like constantly. Uh, And every time we were in the mountains, it seemed like it just started pouring rain. So it's like the complete opposite. So we're driving on this long road where I'm like sleeping and we're still doing fine. Or we're in these mountains where I'm like clutching the wheel, just trying to see like two feet in front of me, just trying to see if we can make it, right? It was just, it was far different. It was exciting. I was a little bit desperate to see if we were going to make it. But I noticed in that moment, I started thinking through this, and I started to think, you know, often in my life, I'm sitting here driving in this barren land where I can stay awake. I'm thinking, you know, unfortunately, that kind of road where you just kind of hit cruise control, you just kind of disengage a little bit, and you just kind of cruise, I think that's often just kind of how I live my life. Like we're just kind of, I got some things set up, I got some things in place, I kind of hit cruise and I just go, you know, day after day, week after week, and just kind of go through the motions. And unfortunately, I even see this in my relationship with Jesus. You know, that we can become a Christian, we can see the beauty of God and the, we hear the gospel for the first time, we think, man, this is amazing. And then you kind of just begin to get a little tired, you kind of get into a rhythm, you kind of hit cruise control, and you begin to just coast. 
But I think what we're going to see this morning in this text is that coming to Jesus and living life with Jesus should look a lot more like that desperate uh, and exciting drive in the mountains than just this straight road on cruise control. You see, in Mark chapter 5, what we're going to do is we're going to see the story of a couple people that come to Jesus, not as this nice like add-on to their life that just makes things go uh, the same. And they're not just picking a lane and kind of hitting cruise control. These people are desperate. These people have no other option. There's desperation that just pours out of these verses. And I think that what we see is that really the Christian life is a life of desperation and faith. That that really is what the Bible says, coming to Jesus and following Jesus is like. And I think, Providence, if we are not a desperate people, I don't think we can be a faith-filled people. And if we're not a faith-filled people, we cannot be a a Jesus people. We can't be a people centered on Jesus without faith. And I don't think we can truly live this life of faith unless we feel desperation. And so this morning, as we look at this story, my prayer this morning is that it would kind of jostle us a little bit. That it would kind of wake us up a little bit. That, That it would kind of be the rain that begins to pour down that shows us what it truly means to live a life after Jesus, to be a desperate people coming to Jesus in faith. Because while the, the cruise control life may seem safe and comfortable, and that all of our neighbors and coworkers and everyone else is kind of doing that, I don't think it's the Christian life. And I think, frankly, it's a lot more boring than what Jesus has in store for us. And so uh, let's look at this story. Let's go Mark chapter 5. What we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this kind of section by section. And so I don't have uh, big points or arguments or or this thesis I'm trying to create. I just want us to see this story. And what I want us to do is as we see it, I want us to see the desperation of these two characters that come to Jesus. And then I want us to just look at the, the life that faith really brings. Okay, so let's look at the first two characters. Number one is going to be Jairus. We're going to meet this man, Jairus. So look at, starting in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his, Jesus' feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So what we're seeing is that uh, Jesus has just crossed the sea. He comes back into kind of Jewish territory. And every time he walks around in Jewish territory, this crowd just begins to, to develop. People just start to come around him. Now, some of the people think he's amazing. Some think he's just kind of fascinating. Some kind of think he's horrifying. But, but everybody wants to see him, right? Everyone is coming around Jesus. And as the crowd begins to build we see a man named Jairus that approaches. Now this man, as Mark records, is a a ruler of the synagogue, which simply means that, that as we've seen the last few chapters, these religious leaders, these people of the temple, the Pharisees, the scribes, these kind of people, uh, he's one of them. He's with them. He's on this kind of religious elite side. But if you've been tracking with us through Mark, what you've seen is that those people don't really like Jesus. 
They don't really believe in uh, the goodness of Jesus. And so with that in mind, the question that we have to ask is, why does a man who is part of the people that despise Jesus now coming and falling at his feet? Well, in verse 23, it says that he implores Jesus to help his little daughter who is at the point of death. This is a man of high esteem. A man of wealth and honor and religious status. And now he finds himself before the controversial Jesus, bowing at his feet in the dirt, pleading with him to help. You know, I've talked about this often, but uh, my wife and I were expecting our first and, uh, in November and I got to tell you, the, the last couple months has been awesome, but we've done a couple of these doctor visits and stuff. And, and over the last month, we found out that there's uh, just some kind of minor complications and some potential health issues to, to the baby boy as he's born. And it's nothing major, but it's something definitely there. And what I'm realizing is that it, it, it doesn't seem to matter if there's a 1% chance or a 100% chance that your child is in danger. That, that wells up something unique inside of you. Right? I mean, I began, I hear this stuff and I began to kind of freak out. I began to get a little bit scared. I began to worry and I got a little bit desperate. And for Jairus this morning, his daughter isn't having a small issue. This phrase means that, that, that she's like at the end. She's at the point of death. She is facing her last breaths if somebody doesn't intervene. I mean, can you imagine the desperation of this father in that moment. And I think if we get even a little bit more of a grasp of Jairus, we can even understand greater. You, you see, Jairus, as I said, he, he's part of the religious elite. He's probably fairly wealthy to some extent. He's most likely got a good reputation, a good family, a good job, and honestly, Jairus is just simply good enough. Right? He's just got a good life. You know, he's probably similar to uh, a lot of us Midwesterners, right? I mean, he's, we're, we're good people. We're nice. We're, we're hardworking. We've got, you know, nice homes, but, you know, not too nice. We've, you know, we're not in the top 1%, but we're doing pretty good. We're, we're educated, but maybe we don't all have PhDs. But you know what? We're, we're good enough. Like, we're good people. And that's most likely Jairus. That, that's kind of his camp. You know, he's most certainly heard of Jesus. He's probably even listened to Jesus to some extent. And he maybe has even followed Jesus around a little bit with the crowds. But until this point, he really didn't have a need for Jesus. He didn't feel like he needed this man. He might have been intrigued to some extent, but he didn't feel like he needed him. Simply, his life was on cruise control. Things were going well. Good job, good reputation, good amount of money. He's doing just fine. And I do fear that this is too similar to many of our stories. Right? I mean, we live in Omaha, Nebraska in 2017. It's, all of us probably have heard the name of Jesus before. Most of you, this probably isn't your first time in church, so you've even heard some of his teachings A lot of you have probably even walked around Jesus for a long time. And I think for the majority of us, our air in the the Christian life or in our thinking, it's not going to be some kind of debaucherous lifestyle, right? I mean, for most of us, 
we're, we're not going to walk out of here and just feel like, you know, should, should I go do cocaine or not, right? Like, that's not going to be kind of where we're sitting at. We're not involved in these high-collar or white-collar crimes. Like, these not these high-level sins, right? That's not really most of us. I think our error might be a little bit more like Jairus, that, that we just kind of think we're good enough. That our life is just good enough. That my family, my situation, my circumstances, everything is just good enough. Why be dependent on Jesus when, when things are good enough? You know, for the most part, I see myself in Jairus. I see the, the idea of just being good enough, of following the rules, of doing things well, and having uh, things go well in life. But now Jairus faces a great problem. Now Jairus faces a situation where his life is not good enough, where his reputation is not going to be good enough, where he doesn't have enough power or fame or money to solve this problem. You see, the faith of Jairus to come to Jesus in this moment is rooted in the desperation that Jairus is facing. He realizes that he cannot do anything to help his circumstance, and it drives him to the feet of Jesus. For us too, I I think we will never fully run to Jesus and fall at his feet unless we realize that we are purely not good enough. Until we realize that our situation is actually far worse than what we can manage. You know, being a man or woman of faith in the Christian life is, is not just an assortment of skills or things that um, we add on to our life. Being a man, of, man or woman of faith is being a desperate person. Being a person that drops to the feet of Jesus in faith. And so I'd ask you before we move on, is that truly you this morning? If you've been coming around to church for a while, are you a desperate person at the feet of Jesus? Have you acknowledged that you are simply just not enough to face the problems and the situations in your life? Have you come to a place of true desperation like Jairus, where the the cruise control gets jolted off and you come to a place where you need Jesus? But let's, let's keep moving. The second person that we're going to see is this is a woman that, that also comes to Jesus. Look at verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So within this story of Jairus, this kind of story of this woman may seem a little bit like an odd detour. Right, We get this kind of background of Jairus. Jesus is going to go with him now. And all of a sudden we get snapped out of that story and we get put into this story with this woman. Now, there's a couple theories of why Mark did it like this. Right, One is that 
This is just simply chronologically how it happened. He said yes, they turned around, and all of a sudden this woman came up and, and this happened. But another theory is that this is really simply just a literary technique that Mark uses. That, that when you're writing a story, that, um, that this is called a, an interpolation, or if you don't want to be nerdy and dorky, you can just say it's called a sandwich, all right? That there's a main story on two sides, and you put another story in the middle to emphasize or shed light on the main point that is trying to be made. Now, Mark does this actually a few different times throughout his gospel. And if that's the case, if this is kind of a, a sandwich story where this story of the woman is actually being used to shed light on or emphasize something about Jairus, then the question is, well, what is he trying to emphasize? Well, while Jairus is this religious leader, this man of status, this guy who's just doing good enough, who's on cruise control in his life, this lady is almost exactly opposite. I mean, almost everything about her is opposite of Jairus. I mean, she's, she's a woman. She's, she personally has a disease that she's been afflicted with. Because of that disease, because of her bleeding, she's actually unclean, so she can't go to the, the temple. She can't worship with God's people. She actually shouldn't even be in this crowd, which is why she's trying to kind of hide her way and sneak up to Jesus. She, she's kind of an outcast. While Jairus is kind of this model figure in the community, this lady's the outcast. She's the one who can't really come around and while Jesus comes face to face with Jesus, comes up to the front and, and sits with him, this lady just tries to kind of slither up behind and, and just touch the back of his garment, she says. And I wonder if there's anyone in the room that kind of feels that way. Maybe you relate to this woman a little bit more than you do with Jairus. Maybe you've given up on being good enough many moons ago, that that's, that isn't even on your radar anymore. Maybe you've been trying to find other physicians. You've been trying to find other ways to get healthy, to heal the brokenness and the hurt inside. You've been searching for other things and you just get deeper and deeper into it. Maybe you're here this morning and you kind of questioned the response you might get from the people of God. You kind of wonder, how are Christians going to actually respond to me? How will Jesus even now respond to me? You might have this little bit of faith, which is why you're here, but you've got a lot of doubt that Jesus or the people of God are actually going to treat you like you belong. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, I went down to... I went down to Lincoln to go to this Husker game, and uh, it was a friend, of, a friend and I, and we went with a, another friend of ours who was a former player there, and so he told us, he's like, hey, I can take you um, back to kind of the locker room, the area where it's just like players and personnel, right? And so he's like, just come with me, I can get you guys in. And so we meet him uh, outside Memorial Stadium and, Stadium, and we go up to the first door, the first place where we obviously do not belong. Uh, and as we get there, the, the lady, there was kind of the uh, bouncer or whatever, I don't know what she was, but she was standing there not letting people in. And, and she looks at our, uh, this guy, this friend, and, and she knows him, and so she's fine with that. And then she kind of looks at us. 
And uh, she looks at it and it was like the judgment that was coming from her eyes. It was crazy. I mean, she was very clear that we did not belong here. She knew that from the beginning. So I'm kind of like hiding behind him and just trying to not make eye contact and talk or look at my phone or something while he kind of deals with it. And, and he does. And he convinces her to let us in. And so, so we walk through this door. But then as we're walking down these hallways, I mean, everybody that we see is looking at us. Like, I mean, it is pretty clear we do not fit in this circumstance. And so we're just literally like trying to keep our eyes down and kind of look around at what the cool stuff that we're seeing, but just trying to follow this guy. And, and at one point, my friend and I are sitting here uh, and this guy that took us in here actually walked away from us. So he just kind of left us. And then we thought, okay, now we're really in trouble because we absolutely look like we do not belong. I mean, there's nothing about, I'm like eight inches and a hundred pounds of muscle weaker than anybody else around me at this point. I like, I can't even like pass as the chubby punter. Like it just doesn't work. I just do not fit everything around me. I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good. We were confident that somebody was going to walk up, grab us, kick us out and just ban us from Memorial Stadium. We were terrified. And I wonder if In a very real sense, some of you kind of feel that way when you walk into church, when you get close to Jesus, that you you think, well, I I definitely do not belong in this this area. I see these people, and they they look different, they talk different, they dress different, they've lived different lives. I do not belong in this circle. You ever feel that way? You're asking this morning is if you come to Jesus with even just a little bit of faith, will he take even you? Will the people around you even accept you? Does my little bit of faith even matter? If that's you this morning, I want you to hear from this text a resounding yes. Yes, that with what little faith this woman had, that she couldn't even face Jesus face to face, but just getting close to his feet, she gets healed immediately. That just getting close to Jesus was enough. That little bit of faith was enough. Look at it, verse 34. Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace and be healed of your disease. So why does Mark put these stories together? Why is the story of this outcast woman with just a little bit of faith being healed matter? I think it's because he's trying to tell us that, the friends, it does not matter where you've come from. It does not matter your background. It does not matter the scars that you have or the sins that you have committed. That all alike, when we come desperate at the feet of Jesus in faith, We can find healing. We can find salvation. We can be made whole. You see, Christianity, it's not about the the perfection of your faith or even the size of your faith. Christianity is simply about the object of your faith. And what Mark is trying to communicate is that the object of our faith must be Jesus. For the religious elite and for the outcast woman, it is both coming to Jesus. So let's finish the story. Let's look at what happens next. This woman is healed. Jairus sees this, 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 uh, this woman is healed just by her faith. Now look at verse 35. 
While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Well, it would seem as if the good-hearted Jesus has now let him down. Right? He, he just, he fails. He said he would help him, yet he didn't. Jesus came, risking his, rep, or Jairus came, risking his reputation, risking his status in this culture to fall at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus did not come through. The circumstance seems too impossible for Jesus to work now. You felt that emotion? You felt that, that, that when you've come to Jesus, and all of a sudden you're looking around and you're thinking, uh, Jesus, I, I'm following you, I'm trusting in you, and you are not delivering. Right? You have not made this better. You promised that things would get better, and they haven't. I mean, here's the reality that Jairus is facing. Jesus may be a miracle worker. He might even be the Messiah. But no one can conquer death, right? I mean, he's looking at the scenario saying, but my daughter is dead. While she is sick, you may help. This woman that you healed was sick and you helped, but now she is dead. I mean, death is the the great equalizer that nobody can conquer, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or Jewish or atheist or black or white or 105 or 5. That is our destiny. That is where we go. There's nobody who can overcome death. Yet Jesus reassures him in verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. Again, Jesus calls this man in an impossible circumstance to faith. He says, Jairus, I I know. I know that it seems like this has gone too far. I know that it seems impossible. I know that it seems that death has won. But I want you to believe I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith. So Jesus takes uh, a few of the family and a few of his disciples and they go into the house and look at verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he, Jesus, said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up And began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. See, there's only one thing that can both heal the sick and raise the dead in this story. And it's what Jesus calls to this man in verse 36. He says, just believe. Have faith. The faith that healed this woman is the faith that you're going to need in an impossible circumstance. And it's not just a random faith in in a random uh, supernatural power. It's got a very specific object. The faith that can heal and the faith that can raise the dead is the faith in Jesus. We see the, the great healing of this woman and we see the even greater resurrection of this little girl. But Providence, I want us to end by thinking about this for a second. Is this the ultimate miracle that Mark is trying to communicate? The the ultimate miracle that that Jesus raised this little girl back to physical life? Because while that is amazing, that is astounding, I mean, think about it. We never see this girl again in Scripture. 
Right? We never get mentioned uh, of what this girl goes to do. And as far as I know, there isn't a 2,000-year-old woman living in the Middle East, right? I mean, so unless she's this amazing hider and then just hiding out in a cave somewhere, it's pretty safe to assume that this little girl grew up and then yet died again. You see, the ultimate power of Jesus is not that he can raise us to physical life, give us a few more physical years here on earth, but what Mark is trying to communicate that that Jesus does and will have power over death. That here in this story, he reveals his power over physical death, but later we will see Jesus gain victory over death as a whole. You see, the one that had power over death just a little bit later in the Gospel of Mark will, will take up his cross. He will face death himself. And in that moment, when Jesus is hanging on this tree, God, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, is succumbed to death. But Providence, we know this isn't the end of the story, right? He, he gives himself to death, and it would seem as if death had won that day on the cross. Yet three days later, Jesus rose again, right? Jesus raises from the dead, and with that act, Jesus now gains victory over death forever. And he no longer just has the power to raise us to physical life. He now defeats death in every sense of the world, that word, that it isn't just a physical death that he conquers, it is a spiritual death that we face that he now has power over. Death no longer reigns, but Jesus reigns. Death no longer is the great force, but Jesus has more power. And the good news of the gospel this morning is that for all those who, who come to a place of realizing that that this spiritual death is, is a reality for us. That because of our sins, as we approach a holy God, we, we face spiritual death. That for all who are desperate and look to Jesus, we can find life. That in the death and life of Jesus, we can die and be raised again. I love Romans 6, verses 8 and 9. Just listen to this. He says, If we have died with Christ... We believe that we also will live with him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And I love that John in his gospel says, and if you believe in him, death no longer has dominion over you. The impossible outcome of eternal life can now be yours. John goes so far to say you won't even taste death if you have life in Christ. So church, the the call I think from this passage this morning is would we truly, desperately come to Jesus in faith? Would we put our lives in his hand because he is the one who has power over life and death? Would we give up the notion That we can simply just be good enough and conquer this world and conquer death. And would we actually come to him in faith to find life? And lastly, can I just say as a church, can we be a people that that doesn't start desperate and then grow self-sustaining? But can we be a people that are just desperate for Jesus? 
I mean, can this not just be a call for non-believers to, to place your faith in Jesus, but could this be a call for us as a church to walk in desperate faith? We would say, I need Jesus today just like I needed him yesterday. I want more of Jesus. I want Jesus to do more because while he's given me life, he has now made me an agent of life to the world around us. Would we be a people that never lose our joy and our faith that Christ has defeated death and in him we defeat death as well? Let me pray. Father God, We thank you for sending your son. That Jesus would come and that he would reveal his power over life and death. That Jesus, you loved us to the point of taking that cross, but you are powerful enough to give us life forever. Father, would we believe that this morning? I pray for um, the, the believers in the room, those who have been walking with you. Would you Wake us up to this reality, this reality that we are desperate before you, that we need you for life, and would you drive us? Father, I pray for anyone in the room who is still wrestling, still thinking that, that, that I might be good enough or that I might be too far gone, would you bring them to the cross? God, would you open the eyes and would you help us find life in you? Jesus, we need you to do this and now we sing because you are worthy. God, we thank you and we love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.